Hey there, everyone, and welcome to season two of Navigating the Pandemic, the show that explores COVID-19 and how it impacts our daily lives. I'm Kat, a recent college graduate with a degree in anthropology and global health. Just to quickly recap, this season is focused on the social determinants of health and COVID-19. In the last episode, I defined the social determinants of health as the non-medical factors that influence health outcomes. And these can be the conditions that people are born in, where they grow up, work, live, and age. So today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Dr. Mir Ali on the show to discuss a research brief that he wrote on mental health consequences of COVID-19 and the social determinants of health. So thank you so much for being on the show, Dr. Ali. Before we begin discussing the brief, would you share a little bit of background about who you are and your expertise? Yes, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to join you. So I am a uh, health economist by training. I've been with the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services uh, for over 10 years now, working in the area of behavioral health. Almost all policy aspects of behavioral health uh, sort of uh, my research interest. Uh, so I've sort of done work on issues uh, related to the opioid crisis, to access to health insurance among patients with behavioral health conditions, to, you know, issues surrounding uh, children, youth, and family. So, you know, the, my sort of research interest sort of covers the whole breadth of behavioral health. Thank you so much for that background. I think it definitely gives listeners more context of who you are and adds a little bit to what we're going to be discussing today, which is a research brief that you wrote that is published on the HHS website. It's titled Mental Health Consequences of COVID-19, The Role of Social Determinants of Health. I really found this brief striking And I knew that I had to have you on the show and that listeners would be really, really interested um, in the write-up. Would you be able to give maybe a little bit of an overview of what the piece actually is and uh, what prompted you to publish it? Yeah, sure. Uh, Happy to sort of discuss that. So, you know, early on um, in the pandemic, uh, we were sort of hearing a lot of anecdotal stories about you know how the pandemic is putting a stress on everyone and you know we we knew like anecdotally that you know this was sort of having a huge impact on individuals uh, you know mental well-being but there really wasn't a much research on it and then you know several sort of months into the pandemic, papers started coming out documenting that one of the uh, impact of contracting COVID-19 could be worsening of mental health conditions. So, you know, we wanted to kind of go a little bit deeper into that issue. And then what we wanted to do in this work was we wanted to see if these social risk factors or the social determinants of health, is there sort of a correlation between those and development of mental health condition. And, you know, from what we were sort of seeing in the literature, the evidence was that if, if, if a patient contracts COVID-19, and then if they are sort of, uh, you know, followed after, you know, uh, the, their, their contraction of COVID-19, you know, many of the patients tend to develop a mental health condition. And so these mental health conditions could be recurring issue you know, something that, you know, they were dealing with before they contracted COVID-19. 
or this could be a new onset, meaning, you know, they did not have that mental health condition before, but now after contracting COVID-19, they had that uh, condition. Uh, So in this brief, uh, one of the things that we tried to do is we focused on just the new onset of mental health condition. So we purposefully selected uh, patients who contracted COVID-19, but 12 months prior to their contracting of COVID-19, you know, they had sort of no mental health diagnosis or mental health service use. And then we, we wanted to see, well, among those, how many of them do develop a mental health condition? And when they do develop those mental health conditions, what are those mental health conditions? And how does these social risk factors is influencing the onset of those conditions. And uh, so we used a very large national multi-payer health insurance uh, claims database to sort of dig into those issues. Wow, yeah. Thank you for such an in-depth overview of that. And it's research that needs to be done, especially now. You know, we know that the risks of COVID exposure and disease outcomes really are not evenly distributed throughout the population, especially because people at the bottom end of the socioeconomic spectrum are fearing so much worse now. And understanding mental health and how it relates to the social determinants of health is really, really important. Um, And as you just talked about, really speaking to those social risk factors, it was really striking to me, but not surprising, striking, but not surprising that the odds of developing, you know, a mental health condition after the COVID diagnosis was so much higher among people with health-related social needs associated with like your childhood, your education, your employment, your housing, you know, all of these things that are critical parts of, of shaping your health outcomes. And so I guess moving, looking forward, I was also hoping to touch a little bit more on the long-term significance of the brief It was published in April of 2021, and now it's January 2022. It's crazy to me how time flies (laughs) during the pandemic, right? Right. Um, But I was wondering if you'd be able to share any insight on how the literature has changed over the past year. I mean, I think, you know, now, you know, we know a lot more about the mental health impact of COVID-19 and, you know, like more studies have been published uh, that has documented this increased burden of mental health condition. There's now also, you know, evidence of rising rates of mental health condition among children during the pandemic. Uh, You know, this literature is is still sort of limited, but it's, it's growing. So we do know a lot more about the mental health impact. But, you know, there are, you know, still, you know, several gaps uh, that remains. And hopefully we'll see studies come out in the near future uh, filling those gaps. You know, for example, nationally, we really do not know how the rate of mental health conditions and services utilization has changed compared, uh, you know, pre-pandemic compared to, you know, now during the pandemic among the general U.S. population. Like, you know, our brief that we published focused only on patients that have uh, contracted uh, COVID-19. But uh, we know this uh, the stress of the pandemic in general, uh, you know, is applicable to sort of everyone. So, it's, I think it's important to sort of look into uh, the mental health condition among, you know, the U.S. population. 
Uh, same in terms of treatment utilization. We do know that uh, there has been increased utilization of telehealth or telemedicine for behavioral health treatment, but we don't have much specificity for, like, you know, for what specific conditions, you know, for mental health conditions or substance use disorder. And then we also do not know, you know, what uh, percentage of the telebehavioral health uh, treatment was compared to the overall behavioral health treatment. And, you know, what percentage of behavioral health treatment was delivered via telehealth? You know, we do not know the, uh, the percentage of foregone treatment, you know, how many people in the absence of the pandemic would have been accessing these treatment but did not uh, because of the pandemic. And then also, you know, how is all of this uh, varying by race and ethnicity? You know, that's something, you know, uh, we do not know yet. Not much literature exists looking into that. But, you know, so these are some of the things that are changing, that are happening. And, uh, you know, be important for us to keep an eye on those, those studies as they come. Yeah, I mean... As you just discussed, there are so many limitations of conducting research during the pandemic. And I want to delve into this question, maybe and pick your brain a little bit about how the literature has changed and insights on, on conducting research. And I know, so, so when you wrote your research brief and you were looking at different published studies you know, how do you think some of these gaps and uncertainties that you just talked about can influence not just methodology, but also validity of findings? Is that something that is maybe concerning because of the quick timeline that research has been conducted or maybe just, you know, the unprecedented event of, of a pandemic and conducting research during a pandemic? It's just, it's a different world from, you know, what life was like before, I'm sure, in research settings? Yeah, so that's, that's, a, that's a great question. I mean, you know, there is um, this issue of, you know, trying to do research on an event that is sort of happening, you know, almost in real time. And, you know, as, as, as researchers, as, you know, health economists, you know, we like to look for the perfect data uh, and then sort of have sort of like a perfect modeling approach and have like a result that is extremely robust and sound. Here, you know, uh, we just basically had to sort of utilize, you know, the data set that we had. And, you know, I have been fortunate enough to have access uh, to these data sets uh, that, that we have, a, have access to do this research. But I would say, you know, in terms of methodology, you know, a- analyzing the impact of events on health condition, that's not new. Health economists have done this and have been doing this for a long time, you know, looking at, you know, how a certain change in policy uh, or a certain health shock has impacted service utilization, health condition, you know, so those literature exists. And, you know, here the challenge was access to timely data. We had access to a very, very good data set. And, you know, many of the studies uh, that are coming now, you know, are sort of also, you know, leveraging these, you know, large health insurance claims databases, electronic health databases. And unfortunately, those those data are very, very expensive uh, to purchase, and not all researchers have access to those. But the uh, survey data that are sort of coming out will be coming out now, you know, I think that will sort of 
provide everyone sort of an opportunity to sort of, you know, look into how the pandemic uh, has sort of shaped health outcomes and treatment utilization and other public health issues. Even uh, the research brief that we've put out, it, it's not without its, its, its limitation. It's not perfect. <laughs> so, you know, there are things in the issue brief that we know, you know, we need to sort of revisit. Uh, so, for example, uh, you know, in the issue brief, you know, uh, we were able to compare individual who contracted COVID-19 to individuals who tested negative for COVID and then individuals who had COVID-19-like symptoms, uh, and then sort of look at their mental health outcomes. But ideally, what we would have liked is to sort of, you know, have a matched controlled sample of individuals who had contracted COVID-19, and then a group of individuals who haven't contracted COVID-19, but were sort of, you know, very similar in other characteristics, let's say, you know, their age, uh, their gender, their race, their, you know, socioeconomic conditions, and then compare what had the mental health outcome among the two groups. Uh, so, you know, we were not able to do that. We, we sort of recognized that as, as a limitation in the brief. And, uh, you know, the other uh, limitation uh, in, in general, uh, the difficulty of measuring social determinants of health using a health insurance claims database is that most of the providers do not actually utilize those indicators. So in the paper, we have used this thing that we call the Z code to identify these social risk factors related to education, employment, housing, childhood experiences, so on and so forth. And so there are ways uh, for providers to document that in patients. But in our study, we saw like a little over 1% of the patient had those indicators. And we know that, you know, these, uh, these issues, measuring social determinants of health and social risk factors in health insurance claims data uh, is, is kind of limited because, you know, m- many providers don't utilize that. We have an awareness of it, but how do you actually measure it? We, we sort of struggled with that a bit. And our take was, even though we have such low utilization, but the result was uh, uh, so staggering. What happens when these Z codes are applied after they contract COVID-19, but before they're onset of mental health condition. And, you know, whatever ways we have tried to dissect the data, it was still significant and it was still predicting or showing high levels of correlation with onset of mental health conditions. And so which we, uh, you know, gave us uh, confidence in what we were seeing. And then other data sets, let's say, you know, electronic health record, which might capture some of these issues. You know, maybe the provider and the patients are having conversations about you know, social risk factors, but doctors are just not billing for that. They're, they're not utilizing this Z code for services utilization. You know, using machine learning and identifying the patient's social risk factors can be one way to tackle this issue. Some of the things which we were not able to get into, in, into, this, uh, into this issue brief. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm really glad that you shared that robust overview of data mining and methodology and how it relates to your brief. And it was really forward-looking. And sort of along that line, I also think it's really humbling and refreshing for a researcher to really explicitly recognize some limitations. Because if people don't talk about shortcomings or difficulties, it's harder to address them in the future. Um, And I'm really also glad that you shared some of those solutions that you found because 
who knows, maybe somebody listening now <laughs> is trying to understand yeah. gaps that they can fill. And now they have the knowledge to do so. <laughs> right, right. Totally. So, and like as a researcher, uh, you know, I would love to see papers looking further into this to sort of see are our results really robust? Are the results sort of, you know, holding up utilizing different data sources or slightly different methodology? I would love to see see that. And I'm sure the field would benefit a lot. Like, you know, we were sort of talking about uh, challenges and that's where this conversation started. So yeah, that that has been has been the challenge, but I don't think you'll will ever find the perfect data set <laughs> oh, <absolutely laughs> or, <not. laughs> yeah, or ever have the perfect uh, methodology. Uh, so it's important to, to recognize that and then still sort of say, look, you know, maybe it has some use. You know, we wanted to sort of look at this new onset of mental health condition also, because, you know, yes, in one sense, this was a very interesting policy question to address. We, we want to see how COVID-19 is impacting individual development or onset of mental health condition, but also methodologically here uh, when compared to other literature uh, in, in the area which have looked into, you know, onset of mental health condition after COVID-19, uh, you know, our, our results uh, shows a slightly lower percentage of development of mental health condition. And we, we sort of uh, ex- expected that and, you know, and, 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 and that's fine. Thinking about your research design and also other possibilities adds a lot of context to how we interact with and understand the literature because you have so much greater of an under you know knowledge knowledge is power knowledge is a tool and when you understand the literature and where it can move you you interact with it differently and so i guess on that on that note of of looking forward and moving forward i'm also curious about what are some of the real world applications of your research and maybe just social determinants of health research and influencing mental health policy and really kind of pandemic related mental health policy. Where do you see that going? Fortunately for us, social determinants of health, there is widespread recognition that we do need to address these social risk factors, these social determinants of health in influencing patient outcome. HHS uh, has been engaged in this issue for a while now, and there actually has been a lot of policy activities around it. You know, for example, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, have released guidelines for Medicaid state partners to sort of, you know, tell them how providers can leverage CMS resources and federal policies uh, to sort of, you know, take a more sort of a whole holistic uh, patient approach, you know, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has, you know, uh, implemented many programs that have addressed uh, social determinants of health, uh, you know, from um, racial disparities to adverse childhood experiences, you know, uh, health resources for providers to sort of integrate social determinants of health into their service delivery uh, mechanism. Lots of uh, uh, policy activities have have been happening in this space, and uh, you know I'll be uh, happy to share uh, some of those links with you, and you know maybe you could uh, share those with your listeners. Uh, but you know I think you know a lot is happening uh, policy wise uh, to address these issues in this space. 
Definitely. Um, I would love to share those resources with listeners. And there definitely has been a burden on frontline workers and hospitals just to adapt to the pandemic in general. But I think, you know, on the other hand, like you said, there's still room for the system to adapt and to provide more equitable care and service delivery. And it's it's really great to hear about how that is actively happening. But I want to just thank you again so much for sharing all of this information and insight with me and the listeners. It has been such a pleasure having you on the show. Um, if there's anything else that you want to share with the people, um, you know, now is the time stand up on your on your soapbox. <laughs> but I think, you know, just everything that you've said today has been really pertinent. Um, and yeah, thank you again. No, thank you for uh, having me on your show. This has been uh, wonderful. I enjoyed uh, talking about it. And so, you know, yeah, thank you for the opportunity. So thank you guys for listening and catching up with me. And make sure that whatever platform you listen on, turn on notifications for the podcast so that you can be the first one to listen to new episodes. And it would make me super, super happy if you'd share this episode with your friends, your families, your colleagues, your neighbors, strangers. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, as always, stay safe and stay well. All the best, Kat.